Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. So uh, the retreat that Maddie and Dustin were talking about, Natalie and I and the kids were actually up there this weekend on Friday night and Saturday, and it is an incredible retreat. I have said this for a while, but it is the best kept secret of the SALT network. So there were over, or not over, there were just under like 296 students from all across our network who are going overseas this summer, gathered in one room to hear training. It was incredible to be there. So I don't know if you know this, but we send students every summer for two months all across our world that work with university students, that work with long-term missionaries there to help them. And so we've sent students uh, students to a couple different locations for like the existence of Candeo, but it was just incredible to stand in a room and there's close to 300 students that are going to be going for two months. And so I could not be more encouraged by what Kelsey and Logan and the team are up there doing this weekend. So they had a great excuse not being here this morning, but it is an awesome thing for our church to be a part of. Um, if you don't know about the, wor- the state of missions in our world, there are currently 3.4 billion people that missiologists would consider unreached. That means within their people group, there's fewer than 2% of that people group that are Christian. And so 3.4 billion people, 42% of the world, and we have students going to places across our globe this summer to engage with those groups of people, to reach university students, and it could not be more exciting. So continue to pray for them. Continue to, as you find out students are going, I believe we have over 20 students. I'm looking at Shay. 22, 22 students from Candeo will be going uh, to a couple different locations this summer. So get to know them, go to the global prayer meetings, encourage them, support them. Uh, It's an incredible thing to be a part of. Um, Well, we're continuing on in our Encountering Jesus series. All throughout this series, we've been discovering who Jesus is through the gospel of Mark, learning about his character, learning about his nature. And last week we saw that he is powerful that he has authority over demons. He takes this demon-possessed man, a man that many had written off as too far gone, and yet Jesus powerfully heals him, exercises complete authority over these demons. So we saw his authority. Last, this week though, we're gonna see his comfort. We're gonna see his tenderness on display, his compassion We're going to see him step into two situations that are filled with pain and heartache, and his compassion will be on display. And yet, it's an unexpected compassion. We're going to see him intervene in the suffering of people, but in a way that they didn't expect. It's not according to their timetable. He doesn't do it exactly the way they thought he would. They're suffering and Jesus works in an unexpected way. And isn't that our experience with suffering? When we're facing trials, when we're facing uncertainties, when we're walking through pain and suffering, how often do we ask or say or think, what is God doing? Why is this happening? Where is God in all of this? It doesn't matter if it's a small challenge or one of some of the darkest moments of our life. Those are the questions we ask. Why is this happening? Now, this story isn't going to give us the exact answer for why you're walking through your situation this morning. But what it is going to give us are two resources 
that give us confidence in God when he's working in unexpected ways. When we feel like he's delayed in intervening in our suffering and affliction. Two resources that this story is gonna give us. And the first is his comfort and the second is his power. These are the two resources, his comfort and his power that give us confidence when we are walking through the trials of life. That in the midst of our suffering, you have a God of comfort, that he's not distant from your, from your trial, we, and we have a God of power, that he has the power to heal and restore whatever you're walking through. So let's first start with comfort. If you're already in Mark 5, look at verse 21. So our story picks up where we left off last week. It starts here. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come, lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing against him. So here's the scene. Jesus and his disciples get back from healing the man that was possessed by demons. The story we looked at last week and they get to shore and standing on the shore is this distraught father, Jairus. Jairus was a known man in the community. He was one of the synagogue leaders, highly respected, a leader of the Jewish faith. And yet... He has a daughter who's sick and on the brink of death. This is a desperate situation. So he goes to Jesus. He hears that Jesus is coming back. He finds out where he's at. He goes to Jesus and he says, will you heal my daughter? Will you come with me so that she can live? And I mean, just imagine Jairus in this moment. The heartache the suspense that he would have been walking through, but then the relief he would have felt when Jesus agrees to come. So Jesus agrees and they begin to make this journey. And it's almost like this emergency response team, this urgent emergency response team starts to go. Him, his disciples, they're going to get to this sick girl before she dies. There's a crowd that's following them but something happens that no one expected. Look at verse 25. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Another desperate person in our story. Here's a woman who had a chronic illness for 12 years, bleeding. For 12 years, she had been afflicted and had tried everything possible, every doctor, everything that she could have spent to try to solve this chronic bleeding. And I mean, imagine what she would have been going through. 12 hard years, enduring much under many doctors, Her medical expenses had wiped out her savings completely. She had spent everything. And instead of getting answers, instead of getting better, she still has no answers and she's getting worse. This is a desperate situation. 
And not only was she physically afflicted, this specific type of illness would have made her ceremonially unclean in the Jewish community, meaning she was cut off from the religious life of the Jewish faith. She was unable to enter the temple. So here's this woman who's isolated, afflicted, bankrupt, and only getting worse. For some of you, it's not hard to imagine her situation. You know what it's like to have medical affliction where doctors don't have answers, where medical bills pile up, and even your illness has cut you off from community, unable to do the same thing socially that you did in the past. You feel isolated, afflicted, afflicted and financially ruined. That is the desperate situation of this woman. She did everything, it only got worse, but she hears about Jesus. Look at verse 27. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I will be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Incredible. She hears of Jesus, this, this guy that's traveling, doing ministry, healing people, and she thinks, maybe this guy could heal me. Maybe he has the power to heal me. So in the midst of this crowd, in the midst of this emergency response team going, she comes up behind him, reaches out, touches his clothes, and instantly healed. Incredible. Incredible what the doctors couldn't do, what the money couldn't fix, all of it done, all of it healed. What happens? Verse 30. Immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowds pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? Right? The disciples like, Jesus, we are in a huge crowd. Like, of course, somebody touched you. But Jesus immediately realizes power had gone out from him. So he stops. He stops this huge entourage, all the disciples, Jairus, this emergency response team. Who touched me? Who touched me? Jesus knew what he was doing. It seemed crazy to the disciples. How could you ask that? But he knew what he was doing. Look at what happens in verse 32 but he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. Jesus stops this emergency rescue mission for Jairus' daughter and slows down and ministers to this woman. She comes trembling up to him, admits that it was her. And imagine like what she's thinking in this moment, right? Am I gonna get rebuked? Is he gonna be upset? Like maybe even like, is he gonna reverse the healing? Like I shouldn't have done it that way and he's gonna like afflict me. Like, you know, she doesn't know Jesus. She doesn't know, but yet she comes trembling and fearful. But what does she receive instead? His compassion his tenderness, his gentleness. In the midst of ministry, Jesus slowed down and didn't lose sight of ministering to her. 
a fearful, isolated, broken woman. And what did he do in this moment? He turned her superstition about him into faith, right? What did he say? He says, your faith has saved you. He turned her fear into peace. Go in peace. He comforted her. She came to him as a superstitious, afflicted woman. If I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. But Jesus slowed down and ministered to her and she left healed and a follower by faith. Jesus revealed something though in this conversation that reveals the depth of his compassion for her. What did he call her? Daughter. Now, why is that significant? Well, this is the only time in all the gospels that Jesus refers to someone as daughter. The only time, the only time, and it's recorded in Matthew and Luke as well, but in this story, this woman is the only person ever referred to as daughter by Jesus. Why does that matter? Well, think about their story. Think about the other daughter in our story. What does she have in her suffering that this woman doesn't? She has a father, Jairus. Think about all the things that Jairus must have done for his daughter in the midst of her affliction, right? The moments that he held her and cuddled her, spoke softly to her, just comforted with her, his pure presence, just being with her in the midst of her suffering. This other daughter had Jairus. He, he was protecting her. He went out to find Jesus for her on her behalf. On the contrary, here's this woman, alone, ceremonially unclean, ruined financially, isolated, and with no father. Yet, what does Jesus reveal to her right now? In all those 12 years that she was alone or felt alone, she really wasn't. She had a father in heaven. She had a father who was with her. In fact, did you catch what Josie read for us? How old is Jairus' daughter? 12. How long has this woman been afflicted? 12 years. For the same number of years that Jairus delighted and loved his daughter, God the father was full of concern for his daughter. What is Jesus revealing to us right now? This story isn't just about one desperate father, but two. That God the Father has the same concern that Jairus had for his daughter, for this woman. Jesus is revealing to her, you were actually never alone. God the Father, he saw you, he was with you, he was filled with concern for you. You couldn't go to the temple, but the father was present with you. In all the desperation Jairus felt for his daughter, God felt for this woman. All the love and heartache Jairus felt, God felt. The same comfort that Jairus' present would have been to his daughter, God's presence was to this woman. Why did Jesus slow down and minister? He wanted her to know she was never alone in her suffering that it wasn't her superstition that saved her, but her faith, that she was a daughter of God. See, this is the first reason why we can have confidence in the midst of our suffering. You have a father who is with you. You have a father who sees you, who knows you, who's not indifferent to your affliction, who's not ignoring your trial. He is with you. 
and the same concern that a parent would have over a sick child. Like, I mean, imagine if your child was sick, the heartache that you would feel, that is the same heartache God is feeling for you in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your suffering. You have the presence of a father, the comfort of God. That is the first resource that we have. In the midst of our trials and affliction, you have the presence of a father. At this point, the story turns and we begin to see the second resource that we can have in the midst of our suffering. Look at verse 35. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. So what's happening? Well, while Jesus is ministering to this woman, Jairus' daughter dies. The emergency response team didn't arrive in time. And I want us to imagine what this moment would have felt like for Jairus. And we've got to color in the, the lines a little bit here, but just imagine with me what Jairus would have been experiencing in this moment. Maybe he's thinking, my daughter's on the brink of death. You know, I have the relief that Jesus is coming with me. I'm so close to getting Jesus back to my house. And then just the confusion when Jesus stops. Wait, wait, why is this like emergency response team stopping? And Jesus stops and has this conversation with a woman. And Jairus is standing there watching this unfold, knowing how dire his daughter's situation is. Maybe he's looking at his watch, thinking to himself, what is Jesus doing right now? Doesn't he know my daughter is about to die? I mean, think about this. If Jesus were an EMT, he would be fired. He would probably be sued for like negligence, medical like malpractice. You have a woman who's been chronically ill, Ill for 12 years, non-life-threatening, and you have a, a child, a 12-year-old child on the brink of death. Does Jesus not understand triage? Like, who are you supposed to like administer care to first in that situation? Like, in our minds, in Jairus' mind, it's like, help my daughter, then go find the woman. Like, it's simple, right? Like, does Jesus not know the rules of triage? Imagine the urgency Jairus would have been feeling. Maybe even his outrage, his frustration. I mean, even the awkwardness of like, okay, speed this up. Like, I'm really happy for this woman, but like, speed this up. Come on, come on, come on. He would have felt confusion, disorientation. Jesus is working in a completely unexpected way. To Jairus' perspective, to the disciples' perspective, Jesus is delaying. So Jesus hears what is said to Jairus and how does he respond? Don't be afraid, only believe. Now this must have been an interesting moment for Jairus, right? Because you have Jesus, there's confusion, but Jesus is calm. He seems like he's totally in control in this moment and he tells him, only believe, just believe. And on the surface, that could feel like, a, like somewhat of a shallow thing to say, maybe the wrong thing to say in the midst of this situation. Like Jairus just finds out his daughter died. Hey, only believe. It could feel a little shallow. Like if you were walking with your friend through a really dark season and they just got done describing the affliction that they're walking through and you just said, hey, only believe. Like you and I know, like that's not the right thing to say in that moment. Like sit with them, cry with them, pray with them. Don't just offer like, quaint little things like, 
Only believe. But that's what Jesus says. Is, he's, is he being shallow? Is he being superficial? What's going on right now? Well, on the surface, while it might look that way, Jesus is really right now showing Jairus how to respond in suffering. And it really is belief. You see, Jesus is completely outside of our experience of time and reality. We have this finite perspective of our world, whereas Jesus has this infinite, eternal perspective of our world. And when we walk through suffering, so often we begin to anticipate, this is how I would do it. This is how God should do it. However, God's compassion is unexpected. He is compassionate. He is going to restore our suffering, but it's not always the way we would anticipate. Why? Because he has an infinite perspective as he looks at our life circumstances, whereas we have a finite perspective. So what do we do when we're walking through suffering and it feels like God is delaying, when it feels like we don't understand what he, what he's, how he's working? In the sincerest way, we just believe. Really, we believe that God is working in unseen ways. We believe that he has a plan that we can't fathom. We believe that he is with us and near us. We believe that there's a purpose for our affliction. Jairus has come to Jesus and yet Jesus is working in a way he didn't think he would. So what do we do? We just believe. Now, how do you do that? How do you just believe, right? It's like, I'm walking through a really hard thing. How do I just believe that God is going to intervene and work in the midst of this? Well, the rest of the story gives us the answer. What do we anchor our belief to? Look at verse 37. So they arrived at the house and it says, he did not let anyone accompany them except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them all outside. He took the, father's chi- the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Now, this is a bizarre moment, right? Jesus walks in to this, this house that's in mourning. And what does he say? He says, why are you weeping? Why are you crying? Like, she's not dead. She's asleep. And everybody just laughs. It's like, why did Jesus say this? Like, he could have said so many things like, I'm going to heal her, or it's going to be okay. I'm going to resurrect her. Like, he could have said a lot of different things right now. Why did he choose? She's not dead. She's asleep. What is he doing? Once again, he's showing us that his perspective of reality is true, whereas our finite perspective of reality is, is, is like out of sync with what is true. Jesus is looking at this situation through an eternal lens and he is saying, what is actually true is that with me, death is just sleep. From my infinite perspective, she is asleep. Look at how he proves this. Look at verse 41. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Koum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. How does he prove that she's just asleep? Well, he enters the room, 
take the child's hand and says, Talitha Kaum, little girl, get up. And she comes back to life. Tim Keller in, in his book, Jesus the King, points out that this phrase, Talitha Kaum, it does mean little girl, get up, but it's more of like this endearing phrase that a parent would say to a child or a close relative. You wouldn't just say Talitha Kaum to any kid running around. It's like, like a parent walking into a room and saying, sweetie, buddy, it's time to wake up. Jesus takes this incredibly endearing phrase and goes and just nudges her, takes her hand, sweetie, time to get up. Right, when he resurrects the girl, he doesn't have this massive like fanfare or display of power or go through all these incantations or anything. He doesn't say, I command you to resurrect. All he does in the face of humanity's greatest enemy is take this little girl by the hand and say, sweetie, it's time to get up. That is the power of Jesus over death. Keller says, when Jesus has you by the hand, death itself is nothing more than sleep. The greatest enemy that we have ever faced is death. And for Jesus, he's so powerful. All he has to do is say, sweetie, get up. And he's defeated, conquered death. This moment is so beautiful as he lifts her from death itself. What gives us confidence in our suffering? Jesus has power even over death itself. That is what we anchor our belief to. When Jesus says only believe, it's not just this kind of free floating, like just believe. No, it's a belief that's anchored to the power of the resurrection that Jesus has conquered the grave, that he has victory, that the greatest enemy that we've ever faced, he can overcome by simply saying, sweetie, get up. That is what we anchor our hope to in the midst of suffering. How can Jesus have this power over death? Well, this story is pointing us to another child, another child who would be in a desperate situation, who would face death, but instead of the comfort of their father's hand, he would have the nails of the cross. You see, the only way Jesus could lift us up out by the hand from the grave is if he entered the grave for us. There was only one way for Jesus to conquer death. There was only one way for Jesus to always have our hand and it was to lose his fathers on the cross. The only way that he could secure for you the presence of God in the midst of your suffering is if he was forsaken at Calvary. Jesus did all of this so that the greatest threat you ever faced would be nothing more than sleep. Jesus rose victoriously over the grave, conquering sin and death. So how can we just believe? How can that be the great application from today? Just believe. It's when we anchor it to what Christ earned for us through his death and resurrection. When we are convinced that we know the end of every affliction, that the end of every uncertain circumstance is victory, that the end of every illness is eternal healing, the end of every tear is to be wiped away one day. The cross and resurrection show us the final score, victory, healing, restoration. You see, there will be a day when every single one of us hears the same words this girl heard, Talitha, Kaum, sweetie, get up. Buddy, wake up. You're going to hear that. I'm going to hear that. That's the end. And when we know that that is our end, 
eternal life, future hope, eternal life with Christ forever, healing and restoration. It fills us with faith and confidence now, even when we can't see how God is working, even when we don't understand what the purpose of our affliction is. We know how this ends. The resurrection, the cross, prove that. So just believe. Only believe. But let that belief be anchored to the resurrection. Back in November, I experienced a first. Um, As a college pastor, I've done a lot of weddings, officiated a lot of weddings. Um, Tragically, I officiated my first funeral for a college student. Uh, Amelia was one of our Salt Company students. She was here during undergrad and then during grad school at UNI in the speech pathology department and just had a tragic death. Uh, A mysterious, unexpected heart attack at the age of 23, just back in November. She worked at Sidecar on the Hill. Maybe she served you something at one point. Um, We have a lot of faculty actually and students that are part of the speech pathology department at UNI. And so it was just an absolutely heartbreaking time for us, time for them. And over the course of that week, I sat with so many of her family members, her brothers, her, her dad, students in our ministry, and they all asked the same thing. Why is this happening? Why did God let this happen to Amelia? And even I, like when I learned the news, I broke down weeping and I prayed that prayer. God, why did this happen? At her service, I shared this. After reading the story of Jesus and Lazarus, where Jesus calls Lazarus out, I shared these words. On November 9th, Amelia heard the same voice. She heard Amelia come out. Jesus woke her from sleep. This is our hope. This is what we cling to. Amelia is more alive than any of us. That is the reality. That's what's real. That's not just wishful thinking or the right thing to say. That is reality. That Amelia, the daughter of God, her hand was taken by Jesus and she heard the words, Talitha Kuhum. Sweetie, it's time to wake up. That is our hope in suffering. That is our comfort in pain, that Jesus is with us and he has power over our suffering. That we have a father who sees us, knows us, and is near to us. And that we face an enemy that is nothing more than sleep. Jesus' comfort is unexpected. And yet we can have confidence in the midst of our suffering because he is with us and he is more powerful than our greatest enemy. Anchor your belief to that. Walk through suffering with hope and confidence in God. Let's pray. God, I don't know what all of us are walking into here with this morning. Some of us face just everyday challenges and uncertainties the everyday trials that we walk through. And some of us are walking through the darkest moments of our life right now. And like Jairus are wondering, what are you doing? 
Why are you working the way that you're working? God, would we only believe? Believe that you are the God that didn't look at our affliction indifferently, but in compassion left heaven, came and entered into our pain, bore our suffering and affliction on the cross, rose victoriously over the grave, defeating death, so that we would have the hope of eternal life. So that we would have the hope that one day every tear would be wiped from our eyes and everything that is painful and brings hurt would be restored. God, would we remember that Christ's death and resurrection provided us a way back into your presence so that we could have a restored relationship with the Father who is with us, who knows us, who sees us, who is full of concern for us. God, would these truths fill us with confidence as we walk through affliction? Would these truths, your presence and your power, comfort us in the midst of our suffering as we long for the day when all will be made new, all will be restored, Lord, we love you. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.